Well, my name is Wilson. I'm on staff here at Incarnation, and we are in the middle of this short sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent. It's this, these few psalms that are at the end of the Psalter that uh, the ancient Israelites would have taken up, uh, we think, in their journey to Jerusalem for feasts and for festivals. It was kind of the soundtrack for the journey. And God's people today can still take up this soundtrack. We, we still sing these songs, we pray these prayers in our journey, in our pilgrimage through the earth, on our way to our approach to God. Um, sometimes the Bible is jarring. Sometimes it says things that kind of take us by the shoulders and shake us. Sometimes the Bible, though, really does have a very gentle word, and this is one of those. But it's, it's gentle in the, like the Mississippi River, kind of. Um, which if you go next to the Mississippi River on top, it's, um, it's very soothing. I've lived next to the Mississippi for most of my life. Um, you look at it and, it, and it calms you. It's kind of moving slowly. But of course, that river is deep and it's powerful. That's what this psalm is like in its comfort. It's gentle, but it's powerful. So, when do we take hold of this psalm? At what point in our pilgrimage, in our journey, do we take up this song, this prayer? We take it up when something in our life is causing us to look around frantically for help. So verse 1 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? If you're a pilgrim in Palestine 2,000 you know, or plus years ago, you're on the pilgrimage, you look around and you see mountains. And on these mountains, you might see shrines to other gods, that are offering help for just about anything you can think of under the sun. Or maybe this psalm is just good poetry and we kind of understand it naturally. I lift up to my eyes, to the hills. From, from where does my help come? Where on this journey to? When a relationship fizzles out, when you have a nasty fight with your spouse, where do you run? When a sickness or an injury strikes, when the depression won't lift, when anxiety is just there in your gut, when that happens, when you lift your eyes to the hills, where does your help come from? I want you to, this morning, if, if you can, think about something that has you looking to the hills and crying for help. Maybe it's something that some trusted people know about. Maybe it's something that uh, no one really knows about, that is secret in your heart. This psalm invites us to speak the name of God into that thing. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And the psalm answers, my help comes from the Lord. So don't let this be theoretical today. Let, it be, let this psalm speak to you where you are. Think about that thing. And then we're going to ask just one very honest question of the psalm today. And it's this. How is God the answer to our cries for help? How is God the answer to that thing you maybe were able to just identify? Um, this is normally the part where I would like tell you the three ways and then try to show you that I'm right, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, we're just going to dive right into the psalm. Uh, I want us to soak in it. I want us to see what, what kind of answer this psalm has for us. Uh, let's, let's look back at verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes in the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, the Lord is called a lot of things in the Bible. Uh, it's called the Lord of hosts, uh, a rock, a king. This psalm could have, the psalmist could have used any one of those uh, right here, but he chose to highlight God as the maker, 
the one who created the universe. Why? Why specifically talk about God as, as maker, creator here? Because when we're dying for help, the, the problem that we have looms large. It takes up our entire field of vision. And so the first thing we do is we sit at the feet of our maker and we remember there is no problem, no disappointment, no personal failing, no crushing feeling that does not pale in comparison to what the almighty God can do. There is no problem that does not cower before the feet of the maker of heaven and earth. And this is not minimizing the cry for help and saying it, it doesn't matter. No, this is bringing it to the feet of the one person who can do something about it. So how is God the answer to our cries for help? First, it's, it's because he's the colossal, transcendent power behind the universe itself. He's our help through his awesome power. Um, so I'm, I'm going to steal this story from a, uh, a pastor and a friend of mine who has kids that are a little bit older than mine. I have a son that's almost one, but he's got kids in, in that are kind of elementary school age. And he said, uh, there always comes a point in every kid's life, uh, for the most part, where they go through this stage of being afraid of robbers coming in in the middle of the night. And he said, you can try sitting down with the kid and rationally explaining to them, like, the odds of a robber coming to our house while we're in it is, are so low. Like, you, you really don't have anything to worry about. Or like, you know, they would probably break in while we were on vacation or something. Um, it, that won't assuage their fear at all. He said, I finally just realized what you got to do is squat down, get on their level and say, hey, do you think any robber is going to be able to get through your dad? No. No way, not while I'm in the house. And, like, that may not even be true. Like, I imagine I'll say that, not, you know, I would try my best to stop a robber, but I'm not a big dude. Um, but the point is this. In the eyes of a kid, nothing is stronger than their father. For us, that means that we have got to start by looking to our father, who actually can do something about it. We have to look to the strongest source of help instead of cycling through every other weak option until we kind of finally come to him as a last resort. It's very backwards that we do this. I do it all the time. I can rely on something literally as, as dumb as caffeine to try and fix my deep insecurities about my identity. Like, if I, if I get a caffeine high before this meeting, then I can have enough energy to like walk my way through, through my insecurities, which is totally absurd. Why, not just, why don't I just throw myself on the maker of heaven and earth and trust that he's for me? We've got to stop trying Band-Aids to fix broken bones just because they're easier to put on. Maybe we do that because we feel like we can't control God and we reach for something that we feel like we can get control of. We just trust that the maker of the, heaven, of the heavens and, and earth would really provide the help that we need. Which pushes us back on our question, why is God the answer to our cry for help? Sure, he's the maker of heaven and earth, but does he really care about about my cry, like my little stuff. Let's go back to the psalm. Verse 3. Um, look with me either in your bulletin or in your Bible. Verse 3 says this, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And that word for keep shows up six times in this little psalm. Word for keep. Uh, the Hebrew word can also mean watch over or guard. 
It's something God is, something God does. He is a guardian. He guards over us. So imagine a, a guard on a, supposed to be walking back and forth on a parapet, watching all night long to make sure there's not a, an attack in the night. But a human guard, it's been a long day. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing seems to be happening. Can doze off. Can leave the city exposed to attack. Not this God. He doesn't slumber. And what is he, what is he guarding over unsleepingly, day and night, every hour? He's guarding over his chosen people, Israel, the people of God. He's guarding over his entire chosen people all the way down to the most minute details of every single one of his children. Um, this psalm is just, this psalm is awesome because it zooms in from this huge lens uh, taking the whole universe in view, the God, God, the maker of heaven and earth, and zooms all the way down to a human being's unsteady step. We lift our eyes up to the hills, but they're far away. It's like God is on our right hand, providing shade, both from the sun and from the moon. The sun, that aggressive force that can give you heat stroke, that can suck the life out of you, the things that can absolutely overwhelm you, or the moon, like how, does the, how does the moon strike you? You don't get heat stroke from the moon. It's something much more insidious. Ancient writers would always uh, associate emotional illness with the moon, whether they really believed that or not, or whether it was uh, just kind of a poetic device. Um, they saw the moon striking you as, as those things that are a, a lot harder to see, that inner turmoil. God will protect you from both the sun and the moon. So how is, how is God the answer to our cries for help? First, in his awesome power, but secondly, and this is wonderful, through his intimate, watchful care. Remember our gospel reading. God even takes care to feed the birds. Are you not of more value than they? This is, this is the top surgeon and the owner of the hospital caring to, taking care of each and every one of his patients, even doing something as mundane as checking their blood pressure. That means if God is so intimately watchful and truly does care for us in the spiderweb intricacies of our lives, then that means that the biggest mistake that we can make is to forget that that's true. Because we can't do anything that's going to make God not be the keeper of Israel. He's covenanted himself to his people and he is absolutely faithful. There's nothing we can do that would make him fall asleep. There's nothing we can do that would rob him of his power or his care that makes him both willing and able to help. But it is possible to live like all of those things aren't true. So Eugene Peterson said it this way, we know that God created the universe and has accomplished our eternal salvation, but we can't believe that he condescends to watch the soap opera of our daily trials and tribulations. So we purchase our own remedies for that. Go to him often. The thing you think that he wouldn't be interested in, look to him for that thing. But there's still, in my mind, one more thing that nags, and that's what? That's just personal experience. It sure does feel like the sun strikes us by day and the moon by night. It feels like our foot slips. So what do we do with this? What do we do with just the experience of struggling through life? We'll look back at verse 7, we'll finish. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Bible does not promise us cushy or carefree lives. It doesn't say that you get converted and bam, all your problems go away. Jesus is especially clear 
in teaching that, quite the opposite. But what Scripture does promise is this, that our God will be with us and that our God will bring us through. This psalm is so, is so similar to Psalm 23, which a lot of us know really well. And what does Psalm 23 say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It recognizes the valley of the shadow of death is there. Though Peterson again, uh, an entire ocean is not enough water to sink a boat, not unless the water gets in. What's promised is that God will preserve us till the end. What's promised here ultimately is, is that God will accompany us on the journey, there and back again, our going out and our coming in, when you step out the door in the morning, when you come back through it at night, or as one writer said, to the dawn and sunset of our days, God will be there. God will accompany you. He will keep you for all, from all evil. He will keep your life. From this time forth, not until the end, but without end, forevermore. So we add this one final piece to our question. How is God the answer to our real cries for help? It's finally in his steadfast guidance. So listen to Paul back from our New Testament reading. He says this. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's, and that's quite a list. If we are afflicted, we're perplexed. God, why is this happening? Persecuted, struck down, but notice none of it gets in. The Lord will carry you through. So what has you crying out for help? Even if other people might know what that thing is, no, no one fully understands the struggle we're going through deeply in our hearts. No one except one, the maker of heaven and earth, the shade on your right hand, knows. And he is your help. There is none other. Psalm 121 is there for those of us who look to the hills and would be tempted to take meandering kind of paths to try and figure out where our help can come from, things that we think might alleviate the pain but, but ultimately won't pull us through. It invites us to look at someone greater, God. Look at his power, his care, his guidance. And the beautiful thing about singing this psalm that has been around for thousands of years is that when we sing it today, we know something of God's power care and guidance that the original singers wouldn't have known not in full at least we've seen his we've seen his power we've seen his care we've seen his guidance in human flesh in the beginning was the word and all things were made through him the maker of heaven and earth and the word became flesh and dwelt with us the maker of heaven and earth came and touched blind eyes and and gave them sight he touched leprous skin and healed he forgave our sins. He died and rose again. He tied up us to himself so that we go with him in his death and we come with him in his resurrection. He will keep your life. We know what it means now. We know what it means more fully. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.